everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the biggest news of the week. As always with Bayern Munich, there's a ton to talk about. If you get a chance, check out the preview show that I had done for the Bayern Munich and FC Augsburg game this weekend. I uh, wanted to cover a lot of things there, so I didn't have to hit them here. But with Bayern Munich, things change day to day. And there are certainly a couple of aspects to the game that I do want to cover uh, related to some recent news that has just dropped. So we will cover a lot in this weekend warm up podcast. But as always, thanks for listening. It is uh, great to be back doing this show weekly and uh, having this season here and games to play makes it all that much better because there is so much more to talk about. That summer grind of transfers and injuries and international play can be a little bit rough, but appreciate everyone hanging in there and sticking with the weekend warm-up podcast. And let's just get right to it because this is a piece that just dropped just a few minutes ago, and I'm recording this on a Thursday, uh, stating that Thomas Tuchel is considering using Leroy Sané at the number 10 position, rather than Thomas Muller, uh, with the absence of Jamal Musiala due to that hamstring injury, we all assumed that Muller would just take the reins and run with the 10 because, I don't know, that's how it's supposed to work. But Tuchel, as he is prone to do, is throwing everyone a curveball and might use Sané. Now, let's qualify all of this. It could just be some gamesmanship from Tuchel trying to get some information out there that might confuse Augsburg and make them prepare a little differently. So we'll get that out there. It's a possible that this is all a big red herring from Tuchel, but Tuchel has been reluctant to really ride Muller the way that some coaches in the past have uh, Hansi Flick and Jupp Heinkes in particular were two fans of Muller who really relied on him. Pep Guardiola for the most part did uh, toward the end of Pep's tenure, though, especially those last few games, Muller did start to find himself on the bench a little bit more. Of course, under Carlo Ancelotti and Nico Kovac, things did not work out so great for Muller all the time. And under Julian Nagelsmann, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Muller had really, I don't want to say fallen out of favor under Nagelsmann, but Nagelsmann just didn't have a way to use him that that really brought out the best in Muller until the very end of his tenure. And at that point, Nagelsmann figured it out, but he got sacked just a couple of weeks later. So say la vie on that one. Anyway, looking at the Augsburg game, it would be very interesting for Tuchel to make this move and go with Sané. One, because Sané is not a natural 10. Uh, as much as he might have played there in the past, it's not his natural position. And you would think that you would want a veteran like Muller to be behind Harry Kane and see what those two can go together. And I know I spoke at length about that on the preview show, looking forward to seeing how those two could play and work off of each other and how much Muller could create for Harry Kane. Instead, <laughs> Tuchel looks like he's going to incite a riot out of the hashtag Muller Mafia, uh, as our guy Philip Quinn said in the uh, BFW Slack channel, uh, Muller Mafia, look away. <laughs> because once that news dropped, uh, obviously, for those people that are diehard Thomas Muller fans, they are not going to be happy seeing that. Uh, Tuchel, uh, this is a situation where I don't really get what he's doing. The solution seems so obvious. 
So if he opts to go this way and he opts to use Sané flanked by Gnabry and Coman, sure, that is a pacey lineup. Might be one of the fastest lineups you see anywhere. But is it going to draw the best out of Harry Kane? Is it going to allow Harry Kane to be as disruptive as as he can potentially be? I I don't know. I think Tuchel, uh, if this goes through and he does play Sané at the 10, I think he's misfiring a bit. Either way, I think Bayern is going to beat Augsburg pretty handily. But if he opts to go with Sané, then I think this is going to send a clear message that he is not going to use Muller really all that much this season. Because if there is an opportunity to use a veteran like Muller, a proven player like him, it's when the person in front of him on the depth chart, being Jamal Musiala, is out with an injury. This is part of... This is the part of me that has always uh, really feared what Tuchel can become at Bayern Munich. If you look at all of his other stops, he's had this very contentious relationship, not just with players at times, but also with his superiors. Right now, Tuchel is embroiled in a bit of a spat with the Bayern brass because he wants a number six and the people above him don't feel like the club needs one. I do kind of wonder if this is Tuchel lashing out a bit and saying, fine, you don't want to give me my number six, then I'm just not going to use your number 25. 25, of course, being Thomas Muller. This doesn't make much sense, and I think that Tuchel does know that either way, no matter who he starts in this match, his team is well-equipped to win. So he can send a message to the brass that he is not afraid to tick them off, to tick the fan base off, just to get his message through that he's not happy. Now, you could take all of that with a grain of salt, and maybe Tuchel just thinks that Sané is a better attacking midfielder than Thomas Muller. And then you could probably come back to reality. The The thing that really is kind of, kind of infuriating about the whole situation is this is a match where Bayern Munich just needs to show up and take care of business. Why throw in that wild card? Is Sané going to give you some kind of a strategic advantage enough that it would make you want to continue to keep Thomas Muller on the bench? I don't think so. I mean, maybe Tuchel has this crystal ball that he's working with and he can see how this is going to be just a hugely beneficial move. But like I said, I I don't think it, it matters for this game who they start there. I think Byron wins handily. But I just don't know that this is the message you want to send within the locker room, uh, especially to the fan base or to your superiors. I think it's a no-brainer to start Thomas Muller. And I would think that you would want to see how Muller and Kane can work together and what that relationship might look like. Because from what we have seen of Jamal Musiala, there are some doubts about his play and how he is handling the situation since being really given this starting job as the 10 he has not in my mind handled it well at all has not been a consistent performer has made some really really terrible decisions on the ball and at times he's looked selfish which we don't often say about him because he is such a good passer and a dynamic player Uh, it just looks like now he forces things and and some people would interpret that as a selfish mindset i'm not 100 sure that he is a selfish player by any means. I think sometimes every player can go through periods of making selfish decisions. And I think with Musiala, he's so desperate to get off the schneid and to get back to that form where he was, he's pushing it a little too much, forcing things and ignoring some really obvious plays that 
as as fans, we can all sit there and and watch and see an open player here, an open player there. Uh, regardless, Musiala needs to get his act together. Tuchel, depending on how this weekend plays out, <laughs> people might be calling for him to get his act together. But he, he, no matter who he starts, this this should be a game that Byron does win handily. But I thought it was a very interesting note uh, to put out there and to start the show with because I don't think anybody saw that coming about Leroy Sané taking over as the number 10. Uh, I certainly did not predict that. So we'll see if it happens. And if it does, I mean, I'll give credit to Google for pushing the envelope. I just don't know if that's exactly the move that you want to make. But when we talk about Kane, and I'll just touch on him briefly, uh, he's going to impact this Bayern Munich lineup, this Bayern Munich attack so positively. And you can see how players like Sané, Gnabry, Coman, Musiala, Muller, even Yashua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka, they're all going to benefit from what Kane can do. He is so calm and composed on the ball. He's so smart of a player. He is very, very unselfish. And I think that the impact that he's going to make as this goes on is just going to be greater and greater. And I'm hoping by the time that we get to 2024 and we're really in those key stages of the Champions League, that he is so well ingrained and acclimated that it's not really a matter of, you know, what kind of damage is he going to do game to game, but how teams are going to to stack up against him and then open things up for everyone around him. I think this has just tremendous potential. And if Thomas Tuchel can manage the lineups properly, continue to surround Kane with players that will allow him to thrive the best. This is, this is going to be a very, very exciting unit to watch evolve over the course of this season. Speaking of evolutions, we have seen a couple of roster evolutions this week and not everything has made Bayern Munich fans happy with how it's played out. And we'll start with Josip Stanisic. Uh, Stanisic of course, went out on loan to Bayer Leverkusen and I, I, for one, think it's a great move for him personally. Uh, listen, Leverkusen has good defensive midfielders. They have good center backs and they have good outside backs. You might say, well, how is that going to work out for him? The way I see it is Stanisic, if he can go in and play to the level that he's capable of, is going to be able to get time at all of those positions. I think one thing that we all forget from time to time is that Stanisic is not just a right back. He can play left back aptly. He can play both center back positions. He can also play as a six. He's got a lot of versatility to his game. But what he needs more than another trophy on his shelf at Bayern Munich is he he needs time out on the field. So while Leverkusen does have a pretty stacked lineup in terms of their back line and defensive midfielders, it should offer him some rotational play, some more time to get on the field against top-level competition. I think it's a very, very good move for him. For Bayern Munich, however, I could see why some fans were irate about it because the minute that Stanisic left, we started to hear very serious rumors about Benjamin Pavar coming to an agreement with Inter Milan. Now, prior to that, we did hear and see stories that said that Bayern Munich was really going to push to keep Pavar even at the risk of losing him for free next summer, which... For many of us who have lived through things like David Alaba leaving for free and some other players who were managed to slip through the cracks like that, no one wants to see a good player leave for free when there's tens of millions of dollars on the table, or I should say euros, I guess. Either way, uh, Stanisic leaving 
created this big gap in the roster. Uh, with Pavar potentially leaving, or not even potentially, he is out the door. He's got one foot out the door for sure. Uh, you can look at Byron's back line, and you it is you would rightfully have some questions right now. Uh, Nusar Mizrahi looks like he's thriving under Thomas Tuchel right now. Uh, Mizrahi, to me, is a, a player that can do a lot of things. He's got a lot of good potential. He's definitely more attacking-minded than defensive-minded. But he, he has a, a good ability to be able to impact games. And right now, he's looking really good. The problem with Mizrahi, and it really opened my eyes, honestly, was that you know when I think about him, I think oft injured. And I wonder, why am I thinking that? Because I, like, I honestly, before he came to Bayern Munich, had not followed his career that much. But since he's come to Bayern Munich, he's obviously been a second choice on the depth chart behind Benjamin Pavar, but I didn't realize how much time exactly he missed over the course of his career. And it's enough to be a little bit alarmed. And I get why so many people are concerned about that depth behind him. Uh, right now, if you want to look at the players behind Mizrahi, you're looking at Bunasar and you're looking at Conrad Limer. Now, I don't think many people would be all that concerned about Limer stepping back and playing right back. Limer, for all that he can do, I think he would be a solid player defensively. Now, I'm not expecting him to join up in the attack like he's Alfonso Davies or anything, but I think Limer could aptly fill the position. I don't think it would be quite like the times when Leon Goretzka and Marcel Sabitzer were tasked with playing outside back and it just did not go well. Uh, regardless, we don't know exactly what Tuchel will do. At the way he's handling some players, maybe he would drop Thomas Muller right back. Who knows? But either way, you have Mizrahi, and then you have a lot of doubt. So regardless of what happens with Benjamin Pavar, Bayern Munich's out there searching, and they're looking through at least a half a dozen candidates. I mean, my personal choice for that role, looking at a player who could not only fill a right-back spot, but the center-back spot, of course, I've been petitioning for this for a couple of years, Arbe Leipzig defender Lucas Klosterman. Have you ever heard that he was an Olympic level sprinter? I always follow it with that. And if you've been listening here a long time, you know why. Either way, Klosterman, I think, could be a very good fit. I know that Arbe Leipzig is hesitant to let another good player leave, especially for Bayern Munich. I know that there's some concern about the price tag that would be associated with Klosterman. I also know that there's some doubt internally about everyone being on the same page about Klosterman at Bayern Munich. Those are all reports that we've seen over the last few days. Quite frankly, none of us know how this is going to go. Like I said, there are about a half a dozen candidates. Bayern Munich's going to have to whittle that down. They're going to have to figure out what kind of player they want. Do they want someone solely focused on being a right back? Or are they going to go out and try and find that unicorn, that rare player that can seamlessly fill both, both voids it's a tough position to play, and that's why Benjamin Pavar has been so valuable on this team. It's why Nicholas Sula was so valuable when he was with Bayern Munich. It's why Josip Stanisic was so valuable, and I think that's one of the reasons why Leverkusen was able to not just accommodate a loan for Stanisic, but they were probably able to present him with an, an opportunity and a plan for how they would use him and how much he would play. And I think if Stanisic can stay consistent, if he can play up to his ability, which admittedly we haven't always seen, we've seen some incredibly dynamic performances from him. We've also seen some meh performances. And if he can start to eliminate some of those 
shoddy or meh performances, then I think Stanisic is going to be able to prove himself and not just show that he can be a Bayern Munich level player next season on the roster, but he can also probably show his worth enough to some other top tier teams that he might become a transfer target for them next summer. So Stanisic has some work to do. Bayern Munich has some work to do in replacing him. I'm fully on the Klausterman camp. I think that he would be a, a good fit. I think at 6'2", with his athleticism, he should transition full-time to being a center back. I think playing him at right back, he's not the most offensive-minded player anyway. So to me, it seemed like a natural transition that for his own career, and given that he has been relatively injured a lot himself, which might be the biggest downfall with him, uh, I think he should start to transition the center back and still have that capability to bounce outside and play right back, but start making that move. And honestly, I think he would thrive in that role, especially with the type of team that Bayern Munich has. But I would say that the odds on Bayern getting Klausterman are probably about 45 to one, which if you're not a gambler, that means it's not pretty good. It's not good, not good at all. But that's uh, that's who I would campaign for if I had a uh, if I had a horse in this race, so to speak. So uh, we're going to take a quick break right here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to look at some other transfer situations as the end of this window nears. Specifically, we're going to look at Paul Vonner, Ryan Gravenberg, and also some bizarre rumors about Leroy Sané. Hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. Uh, thanks for hanging in after that break. As I said before uh, I left off there, there are some crazy rumors going around right now, and some of these might even be solved by the time you listen to this. Uh, a couple of the, the biggest rumors, though, were not necessarily impactful for this transfer window, but next summer's. And of course, I'm speaking about Leroy Sané and these rumors that kind of emerged out of nowhere that both FC Barcelona and Liverpool were considering making big runs for Sané next summer. Now, Sané, <laughs> if you watched last week, he looked great in Bayern Munich's Bundesliga opener, had a couple of goals. I mean, Sané is, is an enigma. He is such a good player when he's on. Uh, if he can avoid the lulls, uh, which we all want to see him avoid, <laughs> um, you know, he can become even that much more impactful, that much more effective, but we'll take Sané for what he is right now. And that's looking pretty damn good. He, all of that skill and ability plus his pace, it's all come together. And you can see that and him playing off of Harry Kane should be a delight for all Bayern fans to watch. However, his contract does end in 2025. So next year he will be entering that lame duck phase that last year. Will he re-up with Bayern over the course of this season? Will that extend into next summer? Or will he start to target a move? Because if he does, I think we're looking at a scenario where Bayern Munich is going to have to uh, sell him before they hit, I would say, next August. Because if he gets to August, it's probably a situation where he might be inclined to play out his final season at Bayern Munich and start to negotiate the following January or February, whenever he's able to. Uh, Either way, Leroy Sané has drawn the interest of FC Barcelona and Liverpool. Both places, I think, could be a great fit for him personally. 
I don't know how much Robert Lewandowski would like seeing Sané playing uh, on the wing outside of him again. I, I don't get the impression that he was overly thrilled with how Sané played wing uh, as opposed to maybe how Kingsley Coman played. Either way, Lewandowski was was rarely happy with the level of service he was getting in, in those final seasons at the club. Uh, with Sané, however, though, his situation could be uh, very interesting to watch play out. Um, you're not talking about you know minor clubs here. You're you're talking about Barca and Liverpool. So if the rumors are true, they're both going to make a big, strong pursuit of him. And it's hard to think that he's not going to be at least a little bit intrigued about the possibility of going to Liverpool pool and playing for Jurgen Klopp or going to Barcelona and challenging himself in La Liga. Those are both, I would say, very good spots for a player like Sané. However, we do know, we do know that he likes being at Bayern Munich. We do know that he is a very popular figure on the team. My guess is his future will be determined by how much he plays under Thomas Tuchel, what that relationship looks like, and how he performs under Thomas Tuchel. Right now, everything looks great. Uh, Sané has a lot of good things to say about Tuchel. Tuchel has a lot of good things to say about Sané. The relationship seems like it's working. Uh, we'll see how it plays out in the coming months, but knowing that Liverpool is there, knowing that FC Barcelona is there, you start to get the picture that it's not going to be easy for Bayern Munich to retain all of these players that that it wants to, some of these core players. Uh, you know, interestingly, Liverpool and Barca were two clubs that were also mentioned with having interest in Joshua Kimmich when we started to see those rumors float. So I have a feeling that the core group of Bayern Munich players, I don't know that there's going to be an upheaval in the coming two seasons, but I think it's going to have a shift. And I think we're going to start seeing that level of players start to leave the club. And that will be very interesting to watch out because as we know, Bayern Munich has not really done a good job at backfilling those type of positions with star level players through the academy. And that's where we'll transition to Paul Vonner because Paul Vonner is a good prospect at Bayern Munich. He is a player that has developed in the youth academy. He has really wowed the executives enough to, to give him that professional contract at a very young age. And from that point, it's went nowhere. Uh, Paul Vonner has had a couple of tough seasons, and I'm not going to blame the kid for this. He's been battling injuries, illnesses. He's had to work through three different coaches. Of course, when I say that, we're talking about Hansi Flick, who was the manager at the time that his talent was really identified as a player that could potentially be someone who breaks through to the first team. We did see him uh, practice with the first team under Julian Nagelsmann. And then, of course, this transition to Thomas Tuchel. One thing that has been consistent is it does not appear that there's ever been a plan for Paul Vonner. Uh, Paul Vonner is, in my mind, when I watch him play, he looks like an attacking midfielder. We've seen him rumored to be playing the six, the eight, as a wing, as an outside back. Because the kid is young, because he's athletic, because he's got good footwork, he's got a good attacking mindset. I think that Bayern Munich looks at him and thinks that they can play him anywhere. But what it has not given the poor kid is any stability. He has not had the confidence of a coach to trust him 
enough to play him at a first team level. And I know you can look at that two different ways. You can look at Paul Vonner and you can say, all right, well, he's not ready yet. He's not ready, so I'm not going to play him. And, and of course, Nagelsmann and Tuchel would probably say that that's how things are, that they either Nagelsmann didn't believe Vonner was ready and Tuchel does not believe now that he's ready. I think that's what you would get out of them if you ask them. But with Vonner, it, it's kind of a situation where you either have to start giving him some playing time or you have to let him leave and leave on a loan, of course, because with a talent like him, it would be silly to sell him right now, obviously. I don't think anyone's advocating for that. But you have to start to see what he is. Because right now you don't know. Uh, he was chastised at the beginning of camp by Tuchel in a drill. And <clears throat> of course, no one really wanted to make a big deal out of that because coaches yell at players all the time. But when it comes to a kid like like Vonner, who at this point, like had no direction, no plan, did not appear to have the confidence of any coach. To me, it meant a little bit more than most people because at a time where you have this precocious young talent and you want to develop that and hone that talent, uh, Tuchel was was breaking him down a little bit. And it, it sparked to me a couple of different things. Either Vonner is the kind of kid who thinks he is better than he is and Tuchel was working to break him down a bit, bring him down a notch, or that Tuchel just wasn't happy with the way that Vonner was playing. And, and here's the thing. Maybe those things aren't true. Maybe neither is true. But when I think about the interactions of coaches and young players, I think there's always a motivation. And I don't think it's always as simple as a player, a coach yelling at a player during a drill. I'm not saying there's a grand conspiracy about this. I'm just saying, the proof is in the pudding with how little Tuchel looked to Paul Vonner in, in recent weeks for how to use him. Uh, it doesn't appear that Vonner is on Tuchel's radar at all. So it makes sense when we started to see the rumors that Vonner is set to go out on loan, maybe as soon as Friday, which is at the time I'm recording this, Friday would be tomorrow. So you may know where Paul Vonner is before you even listen to this podcast. The, the, the rumors indicate that he is potentially leaving to go to uh, a first tier team or two in, in a top league. So we don't know where it is. We don't know who it is. We have no idea where I'll be going, but it's a key juncture for this player. He needs to, to start to figure out his own game, but he also needs to be working under a coach who's going to trust him, going to play him. And really going to start to draw the best out of him. He hasn't had that Bayern Munich. And if I could criticize anything about Bayern in recent years, it's a lack of talent identification and talent development and bringing that talent and honing it at the first team level. It's non-existent. There's nobody making an impact at this point. And I don't want to hear about Musiala. He did all of his developing at Chelsea. He was a, a damn near finished product when he when he came to Bayern Munich, let's be honest. Same for Davies. Davies was already playing in MLS. He was already starring with the Canadian national team. Those were players who were already well on their way to the first team track. And, and you know, of course, Davies was already playing for Vancouver's first team. Chelsea, they may or may not have had plans for Musiala, but he had already shown who he was and what he was in the youth ranks. 
there wasn't much left for him. He just needed an opportunity. Uh, with Vonner, <laughs> this is a kid that Byron has invested time and money into, and they just haven't figured out what to do with him. So wherever he ends up, I hope it is with a coach that's going to invest some time into him. It's just tough on a loan to get that. Uh, you're either going to get a coach who is genuine, genuinely interested in developing young players, or you're going to get someone who just is looking at the bottom line and needs to win. If Paul Vonner can help that coach win, great, he'll be used. If the coach doesn't think Vonner can help the team win, then he'll be sitting at the end of the bench just like he would be at Bayern Munich. And that's where this whole situation troubles me because I don't know that alone for Vonner, as much as he needs it, he needs to be in an environment where he can play. I'm not so sure going to, you know, the three Liga or two Bundesliga. I don't know that dropping down a couple of divisions would be a bad thing for him. I think it would actually do him some good to spend this season. Hell, I think he should have spent last season doing that. Um, how Bayern Munich has botched this and handling him, I, I don't know. But it, it seems like they're a step behind in everything they're doing with this kid. And if I was him and, and this was my career, I'd be a little bit frustrated. I I, I want to know, I would want to know, like, where do you see me developing? Where do you see me playing? What kind of role do I have in the future here? And I don't know that Vonner even knows that at this point. Uh, and you can look at other players like Arian Ibrahimovic. You can look at Gabriel Vitovic. Those are players, young attackers who there doesn't appear to be a plan for them either. Uh, Vitovic, of course, was on loan last year. It was not great for him. Let's be honest. He didn't perform probably like he would have liked, but I think that experience gave Bayern Munich the inside track to knowing they probably don't want to use Vitovic as part of their next generation. I think they got enough to know that. Aryan Ibrahimovic, we don't know. Uh, we certainly have seen some dynamic play out of him, but he he has a lot of maturing to do with his game. Uh, how he and Vonner develop over the next season or two is, is going to be key for Bayern Munich and their transfer plans and squad building plans moving forward. I don't get the impression that Bayern is going to evolve into a development club again anytime soon. Uh, it's just not working. Whatever is going on has not, we have not seen those top level kids develop through the academy and star for Bayern Munich. It just has not happened. And granted, it's very hard with a veteran laden team, an attractive club that can get just about any player that it wants. I mean, I think they proved that with Harry Kane. It's tough to break into a club like that. So I get if you're a young, talented player and you're looking at clubs to take your next step in, if you're like a U14 or 15 player and you really want to develop and you have dreams of going pro, I don't know that you go to Bayern Munich. And that's where it gets concerning because as a brand and as a club, you would think that would be a natural selection, but you might be better off going to Leverkusen, <laughs> quite frankly, or to RB Leipzig, a place like that, where you're going to be able to get more opportunities and and probably get coaching that's going to be more focused on your own development rather than maybe what is going on in the Bayern Munich campus at this point. But Paul Vonner's situation is certainly one that fans will be keeping an eye on because he has uh, really captured the hearts and minds of a lot of people because of his potential. 
And I think everyone wants to see him succeed. So where he goes next and what he's doing is going to be really at the forefront of everyone's mind as this season goes on. Uh, the other big transfer rumor, and I don't know that it's big because it's kind of been floating out there a bit, is Ryan Gravenberg. And we have always, I mean, it seems like with Gravenberg, we're talking about him at least every couple of weeks. He's either, you know, creating some kind of strife for himself through the media or he's embroiled in transfer rumors. Right now with Gravenberg, you know, Tuchel, the last rumors that we have seen indicate that he is open to letting Gravenberg go. And I, I think that at this point, with everything that we have seen with Gravenberg and how he's handled sitting the bench, which not really great, um, <clears throat> I think we know that his situation, really his happiness is going to be determined uh, by how much he plays. Now, Tuchel, there's always a, there's always a catch with him. He's okay to let Gravenberg go, but he then wants to take those funds that are generated from a sale of Gravenberg and invest those into a number six, which as we know, he's already been told that he's not getting. So we, we know there are some ulterior motives with uh, Thomas Tuchel and wanting to sell Gravenberg. The club doesn't seem inclined to sell the Dutchman just yet. And I get that. I, I do. I understand that they have made an investment in him. They want to see him develop a little bit, see what kind of ceiling he might have. Because right now, I don't think they know. I think they can look at him, see how he plays, and they can project outward a little bit what he might be. But they haven't seen enough. There's not enough game film on him to say, we feel confident about this is what he will be. Uh, and that's where it gets a little bit complicated, right? because he's also not going to get a ton of time this season. At least that's how it looks. Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, Conrad Leimer, they're all ahead of him on the depth chart. When push comes to shove, you might also see Jamal Musiala pushed into a deeper role as an eight or a six ahead of Gravenberg if that's what it came down to. It's tough to envision how he's going to, one, be happy in this environment, or two, that how Tuchel's going to find enough playing time to keep him happy and keep him focused and keep his development on track. So I think for all parties involved, selling him is a good move. Liverpool and Manchester United have been following him for months now. And if Bayern Munich relents on their, uh, I guess, decision not to sell Gravenberg, then those two clubs would seemingly be right in the mix to make something happen and make it happen quick. I just think, in my opinion, when a player's unhappy and the coach does not have room to accommodate that player, it, it kind of just makes sense. I, I don't see the need to create any disruption or disharmony. I think Bayern Munich's got a pretty good thing going right now. You know, obviously injuries are always unpredictable, and we don't know what well, we know they're going to be there. Injuries are going to happen this season. We don't know to who, we don't know when they're going to happen. It's just a matter of does Bayern Munich feel comfortable with those three names in the midfield plus the uh, the ability to play Musiala there if needed? Do they feel okay with that scenario? And are they okay with maybe not getting the exact amount of money they want for Gravenberg if they let him go? I, I actually think they'll do okay with him. I think that they'll be able to get a little bit more than they invested in him, which... You know, I, I don't know the appetite that Byron has for that. I don't know if 
they are okay just making a little bit of money off him. But let's be honest, he did not play all that much when he's at Bayern Munich. So I don't know how much his value could realistically be driven up. Uh, we do know that when he when he made his initial move, Bayern Munich paid, I guess, was about $18.5 million for him. Right now, Transfer Marked has him valued at $30 million, which is down a little bit from his high market value of 35 If they could get 30 for Graven Burke and they make $11.5 million off him, I'm okay with that. I, I really am. Uh, and I got nothing against the kid. If he wants to play and that's the most important thing for him, I'm okay with it. Uh, listen, I know I've never coached at the level that that Thomas Tuchel or anyone else has, but one of my main philosophies has always been whenever I've coached a team in any sport is that if a player doesn't want to be there, let him go and 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 have him or her you know, be happy doing something else, playing for someone else, playing for another club. Uh, I think that's just the way to handle these kind of things. Uh, keeping someone hostage on your bench, it doesn't make much sense to me, especially when you're Bayern Munich. If Bayern wants to sell him, take the money, and then reinvest it into another player, I, I think there'll be more than enough quality players available for Bayern Munich to pick from, and they would obviously those kind of players would be ecstatic to play for a club like Bayern Munich, no matter what their role is. Sometimes you just have to do a little uh, addition by subtraction and it's nothing against Graven Burke, but if he doesn't want to be at Bayern Munich, then let him go, take the money, bring another depth piece in if you feel like you need it and move on. And I think that would make everyone happy. Yeah. So there's a lot, right? We, we, we covered a lot of ground in this podcast and uh, I know that there's been some uh, requests to get back on the viewing and streaming. And I, I do want to get back into that. I, I, I actually do. I have like a laundry list of shows I need to watch, but I, I, I'm always honest when I tell you this uh, my life is absolutely nuts right now. I am on the run 24 seven. And when I do settle down, I typically, Settle down for the night. I watch some of my Phillies, which, of course, if you've been listening here long enough, you know I'm from Philadelphia. So uh, I am 100% headfirst into MLB season right now, and it doesn't hurt that the Phillies are pretty damn good this season. But I will start to get back into some uh, shows and uh, reviewing them and giving takes. Uh, I know that uh, – there's a lot out there I probably should be watching, but man, I just, it's been a motivation problem and mostly because I just don't have the time every night to, to stay up and watch as I get older, I'm getting more tired. It's funny how that works out. And I have just don't, by the end of the night, just don't have the energy to invest even in like a half hour show. It's like, I feel like the minute my head hits the pillow now I am out. And uh, I guess that's the price of getting old. Damn, it hits you so quick. So for all of you listeners who are maybe in your late teens, early 20s, and you feel like Captain America and you, you've you got all this energy, man, it, it it hits you in the face. Let me tell you, when you get to your, your early 30s, you're like, ah, it's not so bad. You get to your mid 30s, you, you start taking a little bit of a hit. When you're in your mid 40s, man, it's like, it feels like life is over. So, so uh, I, I'm going to uh, leave it at that because- I need to uh, get my own energy level back up, but I do appreciate everyone hanging in for this podcast. And uh, please uh, check that preview show out uh, for the FC Augsburg game this weekend. I think it would uh, 
it would give you some good insight as to what Byron might do. Of course, I wish I would have known that Tuchel was contemplating benching Muller again. Uh, would have helped my predicted lineup. A little spoiler there. But yeah, check the preview show out. And then, of course, after the match, I believe what it will be, because it's a Sunday match, is a combination post-game flagship show. So you'll get the best of both worlds with whoever is hosting that. Uh, it could be I need no name. I'm not positive yet. I don't want to get all of his fans riled up if it's not him, but uh, I think he was targeting to lead that one, but we'll see. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get our tweet, Meister Tom Adams at TommyAdams71. You can get I need no name at BFWINNN. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. As always, you can get all of our talented and wonderful bloggers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Enjoy the match this weekend. Have a couple of beers on me, and we will see you next time.